are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. The Valley of the Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Well, good morning. I would really love to hear each of your responses to the table question today. But I actually have another question for you as well. Have you ever been in a boneyard? A few years ago, my family visited the Tucson, Arizona airplane boneyard. It's the largest airplane boneyard in the world. It is four square miles of desert where government and military aircraft are left. But I've never actually been in a boneyard within the context of what Ezekiel describes. And I suspect that not many, if any, of you have either. The Valley of Dry Bones happens to be one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And as Bjorn said, it's probably Ezekiel's most well-known vision. It's his third vision. Now Ezekiel is very descriptive as he shares it, isn't he? God gave Ezekiel this vision specifically for the Israelites because they had wandered so far from God. But as we look deeper into this passage, we will see that it has quite a bit of meaning for us as well. God's word and God's spirit are vital to the Christian. In verses 1 and 3, there is a lot that we can gather about this particular boneyard that Ezekiel is in. God has chosen Ezekiel and placed him in this valley at this particular time in history. 
Now God's people were in exile because they had been rebelling against God for quite some time. They were extremely disoriented to not be in their land, and they had been relying on their own strength. This valley that Ezekiel is placed in is absolutely full, full of bones. And because Ezekiel notes, he led me back and forth among them, I can't help but think that God really wanted Ezekiel to understand the gravity of the situation. This was as hopeless as it can possibly get. These bones can do nothing. They are dry, brittle, and lifeless. And they had been there all together, scorching in the hot sun for a very long time. Now as a priest, Ezekiel would have understood the importance of a proper burial for a human body. And this was far from it. This was a shocking disgrace. The bones had been left exposed to the elements. Now this could have indicated a battle scene or even a curse on the group of people. The contemporary prophet Jeremiah even spoke about this before Ezekiel's vision. This is from Jeremiah 8, verses 1 and 2. At that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings and officials of Judah, the bones of the priests and prophets, and the bones of the people of Jerusalem will be removed from their graves They will be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars of the heavens, which they have loved and served, and which they have followed and consulted and worshipped. They will not be gathered up or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. Returning to our text in verse 3, it says, He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, You alone know. Ezekiel was wise to answer as he did. He knew his God well, and he recognized that he himself could only think like a human. To a human, this would be impossible. Our family has experienced a valley that far too many people are familiar with. Cancer. But really, we could be talking about any sort of shocking news. In January one year ago, we thought we were climbing out of that valley. My husband Ryan had just completed very difficult chemotherapy and radiation treatments, and we just needed to climb that final hump of major surgery. But the surgeon called me just a few hours into that surgery. And to paraphrase, he said, This is not the type of cancer we thought it was, it's more advanced. The treatment for this is completely different, and Ryan will need to start all over. And his next surgery will be much more extensive. And in that moment, the marrow was sucked out of my bones. And I felt as though we were sinking deeper into the valley. And that valley was pitch black and lonely and despairing. I do not know what valleys each of you has been in, but I do know that we've all been in one. And some of you might be in one now. 
Perhaps you can relate to something like this. My body does not work as it once did, and the doctors are telling me it never will. My marriage is empty. Someone I love is chained by an addiction. There is a storm raging around me at work or home or school or even within. I lost my husband or my wife or my child. I have a child, a spouse, or a parent that is completely disengaged from God. Students, this may apply to you. My parents are not together anymore. Or I feel lonely, depressed, anxious, or as though I don't fit in anywhere. School is hard. I'm holding on to some pretty big secrets. My spiritual life is dull. I see no hope in this situation. Sometimes we might ask ourselves, does God have good purposes for this valley? Let's look at verses 4 through 8 in our text again. We see that in verses 4 and 5, God tells Ezekiel what to say to the bones. And in the next verses, we see the result of the words. Notice, God's word gives us order. God's word calls us back to life. In the vision, Ezekiel spoke God's word to the bones, and when he did, the bones came together, piece by piece. It says they even rattled. So the matching hip bones found each other. The leg bones and the finger bones that go together made their match again. The skull found the correct skeleton. Can you even imagine the sight of it all? And there were tendons forming, and skin covered the bones. There was a process going on, and there was intentionality. God was doing something. Now, Ezekiel knew there was going to be breath and life because God had said so in verse 6. But he wasn't seeing it yet. We cannot miss what God is doing while we wait on him. So our family found ourselves in this new valley with a different cancer diagnosis, and we had to wait on God. And the wait in a valley can be so very hard. For the two weeks we were in Rochester after receiving this news of misdiagnosis, I felt like a skeleton of bones just walking around. Now, Ryan was doing amazingly well, but I was just completely deflated. I couldn't sleep or eat or concentrate. I hated leaving Ryan at night at the end of visitor hours. I was so worried about our kids and how they were processing this, and we were not with them. I was absolutely overcome with fear and sadness. I would try to pray but only tears and pounding fists came out of me. But God, my favorite words in scripture, his word gave me the power to stand. Last week, Bjorn referenced Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. God helped me to do this. He helped me to get my eyes back on him 
and run to him. Morning panic attacks were debilitating, but I would repeat to myself what I knew to be true about God in his word. God, you are merciful. You are kind. You are able and you are compassionate. You will never leave us or forsake us. And I walked into the hospital repeating Bible verses to myself. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. He is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And when Ryan was up and walking again, we would speak God's word out loud as we circled the hospital floor. A listening app on my phone that put scripture into prayer was the only means by which I could fall asleep for several months. In another app, I was constantly saving Bible verses to memorize and stand on. God's word literally became the food that I ate. And God sustained me and strengthened me day by hard day through his word. So we have a principle in just these first eight verses of our scripture. God's word gives the believer the power to stand. Now let's look at verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Did you notice what happened in these verses? There is a difference in how the bones respond to the word and how they respond to the breath. I found this simple explanation by Charles Spurgeon. First, the prophet prophesies to the bones. Here is preaching. And next, he prophesies to the four winds. Here is praying. The preaching has its share in the work, but it is the praying that achieves the result. For after he had prophesied to the four winds, and not before, the bones began to live. God did not tell the bones to just breathe. He told the breath to enter the bones. Life is in the breath. Life is the breath. And he called the breath from the four corners of the earth. The breath brings life. There is such a thing as being physically alive, but not fully alive spiritually. We can be spiritually asleep, lazy, apathetic, shallow, empty, dry, even dead. Bones without the breath are just bones. The Hebrew word for breath, wind, and spirit is ruach. Pastor Bjorn has talked about this before. Ruach. The Holy Spirit, the breath of God, has been here from the beginning of creation. Genesis tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters at the time of creation and that God formed man from the dust of the ground by breathing into his nostrils. And Ruach, the person of the Holy Spirit, is still here with us 
and for us. In fact, the book of John, Jesus himself said that it's actually better for us to have the Holy Spirit here instead of Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. For he lives with us and will be in us. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Spirit of the living God is in you. And this truth should absolutely blow our minds. That he lives with us and is literally in us. An author that I've just become familiar with in recent months posed this rhetorical question in a podcast that I was listening to. What kind of God chooses to indwell in ordinary people? And then she answered her own question. Our God, our God does. And he is unfathomably good. And it has nothing to do with our works or our theology or our behavior that causes him to indwell in us ordinary people. It has everything to do with his grace. Now, I haven't yet told you about one important part about this phone call that I received from Ryan's surgeon. Remember that I said Ryan was doing amazingly well in receiving the news of his misdiagnosis? At the moment that the surgeon called me, I happened to be on the phone with one of my best friends. And so I hung up with her I took the call from Mayo, and then I called her back to explain the situation. And as we were hanging up, she asked if she could call her dad to pray for Ryan. Now, her dad lives very far away in another corner of the world and has probably only met Ryan one time, very briefly. But her dad prayed to the winds for Ryan. And Ryan was able to receive that hard news of his misdiagnosis with these exact words. God is in control. Now Ryan will be the first to tell you that this confidence and strength and peace was not of him. The spirit of the Lord was on him and in him in giving him fresh life in that valley because another spirit-filled man had prayed to the winds for Ryan. Now let's not miss the very last part of verse 10. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. They were a huge army, united, standing strong, and ready to engage. So our second principle, the believer is totally dependent on the Spirit of God. So if we are to actually believe these two principles that we've just uncovered, then what? What does it mean for us individually and as the body of Christ? Well, I know that it would make a dramatic difference in how we live, knowing that God manifests his power in us through both his word and his spirit. But I also believe that we often fail to understand and believe in this power. I think that sometimes people think that to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit means that you're either going to be super spiritual or super weird. 
And they actually would both be lies. One of Satan's goals is to ensure that we don't live in the power of Christ. Walking and living in the power of the Spirit does not mean that we're obnoxious or loud or unrelatable, but it does mean different from the world. Because when God Almighty dwells inside us, everything that is his is also ours. His love, his wisdom, his joy, his patience, his strength. The Holy Spirit is fully available in the Christian's life from the moment that we put our trust in Jesus Christ. But I am learning that he may not be equally active. The experience we have depends on how much we lean in. In our scripture today, we see that the Holy Spirit raised the whole house of Israel up on their feet, a vast army. Have we forgotten who we are? Have we forgotten whose we are? Are we living like it? We can do a personal barometer through some simple questions. And these are questions that I need to ask myself again and again. Ryan and I ask ourselves these questions as a married couple and as parents. And I hope you do not hear condemnation in these questions. I do want to point out that Amber Marsh says she likes my no-nonsense tone. So if you have a problem with these questions, you can see Amber afterwards. But here are some questions that I think are important for all of us. And students, I think many of these are relevant to you too. Am I living in the power of the living God, the breath of God, in my lungs every moment? Do I speak, think, respond, behave biblically or culturally? Would my family members, my coworkers, my classmates say that there's something different about the way that I live? Students, do I present myself as the same person at school, on the court, on the bus, the field, the stage, as I present myself at church? Do I put biblical boundaries around what I watch and listen to, how I speak, what I look at on a screen? Do I show grace to others that have different views? How do I show love to my neighbors? Am I forgiving of others? Do I confess my sins? Am I serving, volunteering, and honoring God with the gifts and time and resources that he has given me? We have prayer ministers here every Sunday. Am I praying to the wind with them? What is stopping me from getting out of my seat and going to them and receiving that powerful gift? Is prayer a normal part of my life, like brushing my teeth? Where do I place more intention with my kids? In the discipling of their faith or in their extracurricular activities? Do my kids see me reading the Bible? Do they see me on my knees? Do they hear me praise my Savior? Do I make church a priority? Am I committed to regular study of God's word? 
Do I stand firm in my convictions and boldly say no to worldly issues that go against the word of God? Am I willing to sacrifice something in doing so? Do I testify to others about Jesus? What does God see and hear in my worship? In what area of my life do I need to ask the Spirit to breathe a fresh wind? My last point to ponder is this. I have all of God. Does he have all of me? In the last part of today's scripture, verses 11 through 14, God explains the vision to Ezekiel. A commentary I read helped me to understand some historical context. The bones represented the whole, the entire house of Israel. So the restoration of the people would have been including those some 150 years earlier. And he brought them all back to life. This time, resurrected from graves. Signifying a rebirth of their nation. And the miracle of new life dependent on God's power. And then God lays out his promises to his people. We see his promises of restoration and resurrection, and recreation. He will give them a future hope and a future life, no longer cut off from God. Now in Why Kids Every Week, the kids learn what the Christ connection is for every lesson. So in other words, where do we see Jesus here? And we have a Christ connection here too. These promises of restoration, resurrection, recreation— They are the same for Christ followers today. God brings back to life us. He brings us back to life through what he's done through Christ. The resurrection of Christ offers new life to hopeless people. His resurrection guarantees my resurrection. God closes his message to Ezekiel with a sealed guarantee. One commentator summed it up like this. Revival cannot be worked up from within. It will only occur as God, by his grace, breathes on us again and brings us back to life. As Ezekiel had witnessed and heard, the Lord is Yahweh. He has spoken. He will make good his word. And so, my friends, I'd like to challenge you to think about that word revival and what it may mean for you personally and for the greater body of believers. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. Invite a fresh wind of his presence to come upon you. Lean into the power of God because he can make dry bones come alive. Will you pray with me, please? Oh God, we thank you for your word and your spirit. Cause our hearts to recognize our deep need for both. Ignite in us a desire to be transformed and renewed by you every day, Lord. May each of us here and online go out and live with a greater understanding of your love, your grace, your power. 
And just as Paul wrote to the Ephesians from prison, I too pray that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we may know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of your strength. Great are you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.